This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. As we move on, I did say that we were going to talk about um, we were going to talk about what's going on with Gatwick. Everyone's getting ready to travel. That's important. Everyone wants to get to their holidays and all their, their family and their peoples. And so I thought we would tap into a bit of an update from Global, the Europe uh, Bureau Chief Jeff Semple is on the phone. Now, Jeff, what the heck is going on at Gatwick? Yeah, and it's happening at Gatwick right now, Zach. From the looks of things, uh, this situation uh, is still unfolding. Gatwick, the second biggest airport in the UK after Heathrow, has been brought to a standstill for, you know, going on 24 hours now. Uh, and it seems, you know, the chaos that has uh, affected tens of thousands of passengers was caused by a small drone or a couple of drones that made their way into the runway area of Gatwick Airport last night local time. There were a couple of them that were spotted flying over the airport perimeter fence, flying in the area around the runway. So airport officials made the decision then to shut down the runway for several hours. But then they tried opening it uh, overnight at 3 a.m. local time, uh, tried opening the runway, and then a drone was spotted again. And it's been spotted at least one more occasion uh, around lunchtime here in the UK. So there's a bit of a cat and mouse game going on now between British authorities and the operator or operators of this drone. Uh, But in the meantime, as I say, tens of thousands of passengers have had their travel plans and their flights affected. It's expected that number could well grow past 100,000 this evening here. And the situation, as we're hearing, could drag on for several days until they can determine that the drone no longer poses a threat. And, of course, the best way to do that is to find out who's operating it and arrest them. It is a criminal offense to operate a drone within a kilometer of an airport in the U.K. But at this point, Zach, the manhunt for the operator continues. So just to be clear, it was seen. They shut it down. They thought they were all clear. Everything's come back again, and they keep seeing it from time to time, and then they don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's quite incredible, obviously, because this case has raised questions about how it's possible for a drone operator or operators to bring uh, the second biggest airport in a country like the United Kingdom to a standstill like this. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, there are technologies that are in place that allow authorities to track where drones are being flown from. Um, you know, a lot of drones that are sold today are come with built-in geofencing technology, as it's called, which keep prevent them from flying close to an airport in the first place. But from what we've heard from, you know, pilots and drone experts today, it, you know, someone with the right know-how could either build their own drone or disable these features, these geofencing features within the drone. And Clearly, the theory is, anyway, the pervasive theory seems to be that this person or persons responsible are on the move, that they are probably moving, um, you know, at least fast enough to keep the police off their scent. And so at this point, this game of cat and mouse continues, um, and it's a very dangerous one, of course, because as we've heard many times, 
from experts in this field, it is very possible for a drone, even a small one, to bring down a commercial aircraft from the air if it hit at the right speed in the right area. It's remarkable to think, and some of the numbers that they're throwing around is like 110,000 people expected to go through that airport today. Yeah, that's right. 110,000 people on 760 flights, um, you know, and it's getting late here. And so we're already we're talking about more passengers tomorrow who could be potentially affected by this. And, of course, Gatwick, always extremely busy, as anyone who's been there would know. But this, of course, is one of the busiest travel seasons of the year. So a lot of, uh, you know, very angry, frustrated passengers, but, you know, also appreciating the fact that the security personnel cannot have a plane taking off until so they have made sure that the airport is safe and the runway is safe. Um, so at this point, the manhunt continues and uh, the chaos continues as well. Is there any word about anything happening elsewhere at other airports? And do they have any word as to how they go about this and when they get it taken care of by? Well, we do know that other airports are are busy as a result, that the incoming planes that were supposed to land at Gatwick Airport are now being diverted to other airports in the U.K., including Heathrow, Luton, and Birmingham. Um, So those are expected to be quite busy. We've heard from British officials officials that they're planning to lift the ban on overnight flights in this country, so to try and get more people moving. Um, And in the meantime, they've not only had the police, but they've sent in the military to try and get a handle on this situation. The British Prime Minister has spoken about it today. The Transport Secretary has spoken about it. It was, you know, debated during a a sitting in the British House of Lords. So this is, you know, this issue has reached the highest levels of of office in the United Kingdom. And yet, incredibly, here we are, and the situation is, is still yet unresolved. Absolutely remarkable. Thanks for the insight. I appreciate it very much. Great talk to you. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Jeff Semple is the Euro uh, European Bureau Chief for Global News. A WestJet flies to Gatwick. Um, Air Canada flies to Heathrow, I think. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, And that's the, um, and that's, there's no impact currently on the YAYC website of this yet, but there's an awful lot of, People getting moved around. Man, oh, man. So where are you allowed to fly drones? And, uh, you know, is this one of those things that, that's a new part of our new world? It's 1251. London Gatwick shut down because of drones. So what do you do? Well, you ask a drone guy. You know, so who do you turn to? Doug Hanna? Uh, one of my favorite geeks. Hey, Doug. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. So looking at drones and uh, some of the laws and everything that are around uh, what we have here, um, are are drones really going to be a problem? Is this part of our new world, Doug? Uh, hopefully just a small part, a very small part. But uh, it's almost always the case that whenever you have a new technology that can be used for good, somebody will find another use for it too, sadly. Uh, we don't know that this is a use for bad or if it's a little bit of hooliganism or, or what's going on. It's certainly having a massive impact. Um, what, Doug, are you most familiar with in the world of UAVs? And what's the difference between UAV and drone and hobby drone? And where does all that land? Uh, well, there are uh, rules around 
how you operate drones for recreational use, but then rules, a different set of rules right now at least, about how they're used commercially. Um, and so for us, we use UAV, uh, which is the three-letter acronym for unmanned air vehicle, um, that and drone as, as the same, same thing. Like synonymous with each other. Now, the yeah. difference between a, a recreational sort of hobby drone and then a real drone, it, was that used to be classified by weight, wasn't it? Or do I misunderstand that? Um, well, not, not necessarily, no. Um, more along the lines of, of who's using it and how they're using it. That would be the distinction between recreational use and, and commercial use. At what point do drones become dangerous? Well, clearly in the hands of, of someone who doesn't know what the rules are about how to use them safely. Yeah. yeah. Or knows what the rules are and is perfectly happy um, breaking them, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. So where do we find drones have some of the biggest impact in our world today? Is it still aerial photography and those kinds of things? Uh, well, they're still used a lot for that. Um, but it's uh, in, in important industry sectors where we're seeing lots of use in oil and gas, uh, some use in forestry, uh, more and more in agriculture too, enabling precision agriculture as an example. So uh, it cuts across all the, the industry sectors important in Alberta and, and to Canadians. Sounds like a good business to be in, really. Sounds like it's moving forward. Yeah, it certainly is. We're seeing lots of growth over the last three to five years. And where do we, um, you know, where do we go? If it's Christmas morning and I receive a, I open up my presents and Santa brought me a drone. What do you recommend, Doug, is the first thing that I need to do to make sure that I, I don't cause trouble with it? Well, you should go to the Transport Canada website and look at what the, the rules are. If you've received it for Christmas, that means it's probably recreational use. And uh, uh, often people just go to the nearest open space, which is a park. And, and uh, I'm not an expert on the recreational use rules, but uh, quite often those places that seem obvious are places where uh, you have the most restrictions because there are people around that, that you need to avoid. How far, how far can these drones fly? Well, uh, a lot further than they're allowed to fly by law. And mm. so typically the, uh, the normal approvals that are uh, given now are for what's called visual line of sight. So that's typically 500 meters from the operator, no further than that. And if you were flying by, you know, just the screen, that would be a separate classification? Is that what they're going for? Well, uh, typically, uh, when you're doing that, uh, you have somebody looking at the screen and a second person who's part of the team that operate the drone that's watching it as it flies in the sky. That's remarkable. Uh, and they're, yeah, they're remarkable. looking to make sure it doesn't collide with anything else in the air, but that it also doesn't fly over, over people or, or, or other property that you don't have permission to fly over. Similar to VFR, IFR for real pilots, I suppose, would be to be able to actually see where you're going. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good comparison, yeah. Interesting stuff. So is this all good for us, Doug? Are we headed in the right direction with drones? I mean, you're a part of the business with Foremost UAS Test Range, but you know, are we going in the right direction with this? Well, I think we are. Uh, we're, as I mentioned, we're seeing use across industry sectors. We're seeing it used for environmental applications, um, where we're getting results now from from drones that are flying closer to the ground, 
than airplanes can do safely or helicopters for that matter. And so we're getting better results in, in lots of cases at lower price. That's the seems to be the, the niche that drones are finding. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Doug. I appreciate the clarity. You bet. Thanks. Have a great one. That's Doug Hanna. He is with Foremost UAS Test Range, uh, UAVs, Unmanned Aerial Vehicles, 974-8255, 974-TALK. Hi, Mel. Hi, Mel. Did I lose Mel? Mel might have had his question or his or her question answered there. Um, that question was, how far uh, can drones fly? Now, I do know that ho- some of the hobby drones, I have one, a 4K camera drone. They've stopped making mine. It's by Chroma. And it really goes about 300 yards. You know, that's a, yeah, that's a you know, golf course one hole. It's quite far, and it's really hard to see at 300 yards which way, how far that is. There are some out there that go three miles, though. And I think that's remarkable to think that you could sit at home and think about three miles sort of as the crow flies straight in radius from your house. That's remarkable. 974-8255-974-TALK. When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about this if you want to, and we're going to ask you the question, are you okay with this? This could be a privacy thing. I like the idea of delivery, but, you know, like on the Jetsons, when you would see um, all of the, the drones fly, the cars flying overhead, is that the world that we're in for? Are we too science fiction with all of this? You know me well enough at this point already to know that I'm not hardball guy. I'm not, but I am a reality person, and I will ask reality questions. I think we did that today. I think we did ask some of those questions, and I'm going to address as many text messages as I can, but there's a guy who's been waiting a really long time on the phone, and his name is Wayne. Thank you for your patience, sir. Hello. I uh, just listened to your your whole thing with Minister Soe, mm-hmm. and he just talked to you right out of time. He didn't uh, answer a question. You gave him a platform for all his liberal uh, talking points. You didn't ask him about C-69, C-48, about where the court case was you just let him ride okay well let me uh are you uh are you asking me to respond to that wayne what's going on or what, what would you like yeah i'm saying why didn't you get some answers out of him you just gave him a platform well no i didn't okay you already said that so uh, if you're calling to give me a lecture today wayne we can have a conversation no, I'm telling about it. You, you're doing a lousy job okay Goodbye. oh well see see here's the thing uh wayne is that when you when you hang up and you don't have the nerve to stand in it You prove the point, but I will address Wayne's questions. In conversation, you don't get a solution if you constantly jump on everybody. And yes, every time that he started to pivot and get back into it, I tried to reset us back to the conversation. So Wayne, um, with the text messages that have been coming in, do not reflect the same opinion. And I would just advise Wayne, if you're going to have the nerve to phone in and tell me that I I did a terrible job and then hang up, that's the problem. That's exactly the problem. And I did let him speak about his agenda and his political speaking on purpose because I wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear it without being psycho or, uh, filtered by anybody. I want to hear it. So we can decide for ourselves as an audience together, as Albertans and Calgarians together, we can decide for ourselves what part is real. So just because you don't get it, Wayne, doesn't mean it's wrong. I always invite the conversation, 974-8255, 974-TALK. So, yeah, sit and argue. What are we going to do? Sit and argue about all the different bills? 
He's going to give the same talking points, right? That's the thing. And that's what we need to let them do. We need to let them hear it. We need to let them hear the difference between when they give talking points and when they, we ask them, what do you say to the Albertan who is standing there? And then his tone changes. And the only thing I can do in facilitating that conversation is help him realize the difference in the way that as a man in Alberta, he changes. Your text messages, if Minister Sohi was so in touch with Alberta, he would have told his boss to go stuff himself for the $1.6 million farce. He didn't. He marched like a good little soldier, uh, just another liberal sellout. Uh, Don, I do appreciate your text messages. Don doesn't think I was hard enough on him. EI benefits did not help me, says the texter. I did not sit on my couch eating popcorn, drinking beer, waiting for a phone call. I went back to school on my own, and my EI was canceled. I argued with EIs and MPs, no avail, and the EI needs revamping to allow retraining. And that addresses one thing in particular that, um, that, uh, that was addressed in there when, when Minister Sohi said that EI extensions had, had gotten bitter to help. And that, the whole point was that that's not the solution, right? What everybody says, you want to win, win a political race here in, in Alberta? I'm going to speed up, you know, the Trans Mountain, because there was no appeal. I don't know if you heard that. He had said that they had filed, but there was no appeal uh, in regards to the full stop. 974-8255, 974-TALK. Hi, Lorna. Hi. Um, I'm going to speak as if I am speaking to uh, Minister Sohi sure. so that he can hear how I see through his um, generalized statements. Yeah, th- thank you for clarifying that. That helps everyone. Okay, because uh, when he talks about meaningful consultation and their government is doing nothing to close loopholes for the charitable donations that are uh, providing the funding for these environmental groups that have no, no intention of allowing pipelines to ever go through, and their government has the ability to close that loophole. On the other hand, Eagle Spirit has the consultation, has everything in place, of our Aboriginal people, and it's our government blocking them being able to uh, move oil from Grassy Point. So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, because if they want meaningful consultation, the First Nations with Eagle Spirit have done all their work for them already, and they still aren't working with it, and they have no intention of closing those loopholes, because who did they get? They got the benefit of uh, the people supporting them and their government being reelected. So we're having difficult. We're seeing through their generalized talking points and making it sound like they're doing something. You have concrete methods to move forward, and you're not. That's Lorna's message directly to um, the Minister Sohi in response. Lorna, can I add one more thing on there that I, I think that will uh, fit your opinion on that? Sure. Define what is legal or uh, uh, the, consul- the legal consultation, the appropriate cons- consultation. That's one other thing that's never been defined, right? And so I think that if you want to come out of this Trans Mountain scenario and say, okay, well, we're going to have the meaning- meaningful consultations, um, define what that is and what that looks like so then you can actually achieve it. And it's funny how you don't define it as a government. Therefore, you can always sidestep it, and I think that supports you. Yes, and the one thing that I would say for their government is they are talking about the, the pipeline um, capacity that is already present. And I'm curious to hear what it is they're, t- they're thinking of in the ghost barrels, because there was an article writ- written by a journalist that said there's actually 40% of the pipeline's capacity that is, is empty. 
of what we have right now. Um, I think it was Jeffrey Thompson that wrote an article that said what discount in oil prices, and it has to do with the way that the contracts are being bid upon. If they didn't bid the contracts on a monthly basis, then the smaller oil producers would have access to our present uh, pipeline capacity. They talk in a general, they've just said it as a talking point that they're going to look at what uh, pipeline capacity they have right now and how they can better use it. So I'm curious, is it is that what they're looking at, is dealing on how they're bidding on those contracts? Because 40% more um, oil moved would help us greatly as well. Wonderful. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you. All right, 974-8255, 974-TALK. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You bet. I just want to kind of maybe a little, it's not changing the subject here. Um, regarding the Huey girl that, you know, she's out on bail, I'd just like to uh, throw my opinion, and I don't know what most Canadians are thinking right now. Do, do you send her to the U.S. or send her to China? And my thoughts in my 20 years of uh, business in uh, China, if we send her to the U.S., and then we get a pipeline done in three years or four years, what, where, how long it takes it to be built, China will never buy the oil from Canada. Never. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Mike, for that opinion. I, we're just going to move on because it is a little bit off topic, but I do appreciate yeah, you saying sorry. it. That's yeah. okay, bud. You know what? I, yeah. I appreciate that, and uh, that's thank, why we're here. Thank you, and I love listening to your show. Thank okay, you thanks, Mike. Much. All right. And it's it, Huawei, just so you know, Mike, if that helps you out. Um, Dave, 770CHQR. Good, bud. How are you, Dave? Just fine, thanks. Um, you know, I appreciate from your perspective you have to give the minister his platitude, but I, but I, I, I do wish you would have challenged him on a couple of things. Sure, which um, things? Like which things, Dave? The, for, from from my perspective, uh, being in the business in the oil patch, collectively, I think what they should do is say, we don't want your money, we don't want your charity, we don't want your platitudes, we don't want your promises, we don't want to hear that you have our you, that you have our sympathy. We don't want any of that. We are Albertans. We are self-sufficient. We can do just fine without your support. All we need from you is to use your power as a federal government to cross provincial lines so that you can dig a trench and put some pipe in the ground and get our oil to market. Anything else that, that he says or Trudeau or any, any of his other soldiers come out here and say, nobody in this province is going to believe a word they say until they can see the pipe going in the ground. Okay, so you said to me, Dave, that you wanted me to challenge him more, but I did ask him, I said, why are you here? Why are you not in other provinces having this conversation? Why are you not out there? Do you not feel like that was the that was the same thing? Because well, my, my yeah, ask was I, his, I asked him specifically, why are you not standing in southern Ontario? Why are you not standing in Quebec and having this conversation saying how important this is uh, for Alberta? And he spoke just like a politician. Well, he did, but he just because he didn't talked, answer, and he talked and he said nothing. Just because he didn't answer the question, though, uh, he gets to choose to answer the question, right? Like I can play security guard here, right? And I can stand here and and I can play security guard and I can lecture the guy on your behalf, or I can try to get him to say something that's not that, that that's different. And in that particular case, I said, "Why are you doing this?" And he gave back the simple talking point of the same old, same old. So, uh, as an Albertan, Dave, I agree with you. I mean, he didn't answer the question to a point where he truly could have because later in our discussion he did get authentic in his answers and so it's as far as i'm concerned it's a missed opportunity it's not my job it's his job right yeah, he's no, the one who's got to realize no i appreciate and i appreciate that and i and i realize the position that you're in i just 
I just wish you could have pressed them a little harder, and, and maybe that's not you, and I understand that. Well, no, it's it, yeah, I'm, I think that here's what I believe, Dave. And I do appreciate your feedback, and I do appreciate the conversation, because, frankly, this is all about conversation, isn't it? And, um, but we can um, argue about it, like not you and I, but him and I, we can argue about it all day and not get anywhere. And I can be, I can be the toxic guy, and I could throw things and, and do whatever, but we're not going to get anywhere about it. And I do believe that if what I stand for is for you to hear what's going on, and I, the questions uh, about why are you not in Southern Ontario? Why are you not in Quebec? Why are you in Alberta selling this to Albertans is what I said. Um, yeah, yeah, and, well, and, and so the answer to that is he gets to decide for himself if he jumps off the ship or if he stands for you. And yeah. I'm not here to make him look wrong. I'm here to let him self look like he's standing for Albertans. And here's why I agree with you, Dave, is that I just don't think he did that. No, I don't. I don't agree. I I, I, I agree with you completely. I, I think he's just spouting the liberal platitude and saying nothing. And I, I know you, I know you have other people waiting, and you've got piles of emails that I'm sure <laughs> agree with everything I just said. So yeah, there's sure. still a lot of anger out there. And you well, everybody, yeah, here's the glory: we're all Albertans, and we all would do it slightly differently, right? Someone people would get in someone's face and say, you know, to heck with you, and someone would just say, how can you do this? Like, how can you put your head down at night? So that's the glory of us. Um, we would all do a little differently. Thank you for your feedback, Dave. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.